everyone. Thanks for being here for today's episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of people working to make their town stronger. I'm Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. Incremental development is a term that you might have heard if you've been following this organization for a little while. This concept refers to mostly small-scale projects like updating downtown commercial spaces or renovating duplexes or triplexes. The main thing is that these projects are led by individuals or teams of local residents, not huge distant companies. So encouraging and allowing incremental development is one of the single biggest things that a city can do if it wants to become more economically strong. Not only does this increase housing and small business options, but it puts power back into the hands of residents, allowing them to build wealth for their families and to shape the future of their neighborhoods. Today's guest, Jennifer Acosta, is a community revitalizer and incremental developer working in the Tri-Cities region of Michigan near the shores of Lake Huron. Her focus is on adaptive reuse projects, taking historic structures like old bank and newspaper buildings and turning them into updated housing and commercial spaces. She finds that sweet spot between preserving history while also modernizing and allowing these old buildings to take on new life so that they can last another hundred years, as she says, even as the needs of a community change. Acosta is particularly driven by a desire to create more rental and multifamily housing options in a region that is largely dominated by single-family homes. And she is also on the faculty of the Incremental Development Alliance, where she helps train other small-scale developers across the continent. One of the storylines that I was especially encouraged by during the interview that you're about to hear is her comments on being a woman in a male-dominated industry how she's found fellow female developers, built a support system, and persevered even when people in the industry didn't always welcome her. I don't think that it is in the cards for me right now, but I do dream of being a small-scale developer someday. And I'm really thankful that pioneers like Acosta are leading the way for women in this field. So let's get into the conversation. So Jennifer Acosta, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us a little about yourself and how you got into incremental development? Yeah, um, I fell into real estate development, I always say by happenstance. I was finishing my master's degree in international administration and sustainable development at the University of Miami. And soon after, I found myself working for a large lie tech developer. So I wound up working in real estate development with no background in real estate development, except for the fact that I have two entrepreneur parents who'd always owned buildings. We'd fixed up our own homes um, and, and kind of always you know, my mom had different stores and things like that. We had buildings in our downtowns growing up. So I wound up working for a really large developer and then walked away from it, uh, moved across the country. And I was working in more historic preservation and adaptive reuse projects. And I found incremental development actually at a historic preservation conference where I met my friend Bernice Radel. And 
she kind of tied me into uh, some of the other, you know, key friends that were doing this. I think especially there's something when, when female developers find one another, we really stick together. You know, she kind of opened the door to, you know, this other, like the small community that was online. And then we kind of started to, to discuss and dialogue with certain people more. And next thing I knew, I was also faculty for the Incremental Development Alliance. And it was one of those kind of find your tribe moments. That's fantastic. So people can get a sense of where you're coming from. Um, what is the, the community or the neighborhood like where you live? And I'm not sure, do you, do you primarily work in your city or do you work all over the country? No, I primarily work in real estate development um, here in mid-Michigan. So I, I live in a small town of Midland, Michigan. Um, and I mainly started developing in my hometown of Bay City, Michigan, which is about 20 minutes away, uh, 15 if you drive overly fast like I do. So uh, it's a small town. It's a like a very blue collar, rust belt city uh, right on the bay of Lake Huron. The population of the city is about 34,000 and the township population is larger. And overall, there are like three main cities within our region. Um, we have about 500,000 people across those three cities. And I really work across this region of mid-Michigan um, and across these cities. Um, but they're, they're very small Midwestern communities like Lake Belt, Rust Belt, where industry kind of left, manufacturing left. We have a good stock of historic buildings and a handful of entrepreneurs and a couple of large businesses. That's about it in some ways, but then there's so much more to it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. What was your first project that you really like led and did on your own, if you can think back to that? Yeah, it was an adaptive reuse of a newspaper building in my hometown. So the oh, Bay cool. City Times building. So it was, we were the second ever owners. So it had been a newspaper for over you know, 110 years until the newspaper had you know, kind of gone digital and moved out and didn't need that space. And we did um, a use variant so that it was all residential because the commercial market wasn't there and it sits on the fringe of our downtown. So a full adaptive reuse and built in addition and transformed the building into 31 loft apartments. Wow, that's a big that's a big project to have like your first real um, initiative to lead on your own. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. And then, like, how have you scaled your business to where it is now from that first experience? It's been a, I guess, a process, and it's still an evolving process, right? It when I first started, my goal was to just have a project in like every phase of development, like to have this robust pipeline. I hit that goal pretty early on. And I, I think I also realized through incremental development that that's not necessarily my goal, if that makes sense. Um, more and more development is is difficult. Um, right now, I have, I have two projects under construction, and they're both at closeout. And I keep telling, you know, my husband and my friends, like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's a lot, but my business has evolved in a sense where I've always continued to want to grow my skill sets. I've always looked at the kinds of projects that I want to do. 
I have more of an educational background in sociology and administration. And for me, I want to look at the holistic aspects of my community. It's very difficult for me to just want to control a single property and leave it at that. I really um, look at, you know, what are the housing issues? What are the key economic development issues? What can we do for revitalization as a whole? So I do a lot of community development consulting, um, speaking and teaching for the Incremental Development Alliance uh, as well. And then I also went last year uh, during the pandemic and I got my my real estate license and I focus on commercial real estate because that gives me an opportunity to help, especially entrepreneurs and people with a vision, find and buy buildings and own buildings in a different way that I can't do as a developer. Um, it helps me uh, shepherd other people in in building that wealth for themselves and knowing what I know about buildings and what I would look out for to make sure that um, they have all of that information in a sense. So it's been really phenomenal to to do that. And I look at also my real estate development portfolio a little bit differently. Um, I really look at nothing but like, let's do long-term holds because that's all we could do. That was the only type of, of even development project that my market would support, that there was no potential for a shorter upside. And now I'm looking at balancing my portfolio a little bit differently. Um, I have one that's a, a for sale renovation of condos that were flooded when the dam failed here in Midland, Michigan. So I restored some missing middle housing that was 47 years old that was just lost and devastated and am currently in the process of finishing phase two and giving that some life. And the the beauty in that as well is, you know, for me, real estate development is how I live. Um, so I need to balance those income streams a little bit and being able to to also make sure that I'm mindful of like what projects are going to have give me some cash flow and which ones are just going to take off my cash flow uh, is something that I'm, I'm very mindful of. And, and I think it's really important too, to teach um, when we teach incremental development. And when I, when I talk to, you know, my clients and especially other women that are interested in investing um, to be really mindful of, you know, how does the back end work? How does the money work? And, and how do I help you make decisions to do that? Yeah, that's such an important part of the incremental development conversation, I think, because it's very easy for someone on the outside to say, oh, well, that must you must just have to be super, super rich to be able to fund all this stuff. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about, like, who who do you partner with on these sorts of projects? Because um, I know that to make them successful, it involves like so many different people and organizations working together to like bring something like that, you know, huge apartment complex to, to completion. Like who are some of the typical partners in a project like this? Um, for investment, I'd say, you know, my first, my first investor partnership was with my dad, um, which I'm very lucky to have had that opportunity um, and to work with him. So we we've partnered on a couple of projects. Um, even my my dad and my older brother and I all went in and bought a, a large commercial building downtown. So we bought it from uh, a generation of, of five families on its hundred year anniversary. 
Um, so those five families, and it's kind of one of those like long-term holds that, you know, my brother and I know, like we joke about how our kids are going to run it, like <laughs> next yeah, generation. carrying on the family business. That's great. Yeah. Um, so I'd say from an investment perspective, um, also I, I work with a lot of different partners on projects and they're almost always local, right? I, I'm probably not doing large scale projects. I'm in a small community that's not even a tertiary city. Like, I don't know what we would be qualified as. There aren't really, you know, outside forces that are coming into our community that are saying, hey, we want to put our money here too. Um, it's happened now, uh, more in recent years, that we've attracted outside investment. And that's because we've done so much ourselves. So, I have really strong local partners and amazing teams. Um, you know, I work with all sorts of different local contractors and subcontractors. Uh, I have an electrician. He runs his father's uh, company. He's next generation. And he took over uh, the torch from his dad around the same time that I started in real estate development. And his dad had always done the electrical on, on my dad's building for 20 some years. So there is this like next generation of, of all of us that really work together. And I'm very fortunate to work with just a lot of great partners, I would say, from, you know, my real estate broker to subcontractors, my local graphic designers. Um, sometimes I think about, you know, how many different pieces that, uh, that through this development work that we keep within our local economy, we keep it circular. You know, we're spending money here, we're raising money here, and we're improving our own area, um, and we're creating jobs. So it, the more I can do local, the better. And it's really kind of also generated some interest from outside parties that took years, but it's here. You mentioned earlier kind of finding this support system or like the network of fellow developers, especially fellow women developers. How does it help to have people who are doing this work, even if, you know, they're in other places, but that like you can, I assume like, you know, you can call them up if you have a question or just like vent and get their perspective on things. Um, how is that like an important part of doing this type of work too? Um, there's something about real estate development that it's so multifaceted and it's always challenging. No project's exactly the same. Uh, so having that support system and networking with others and collaborating with others, it's critical. Um, it's absolutely to vent, to run things by them, to say, hey, have you ever done this? Uh, does anyone have advice on this, that, or the other? Or how do you do this decision making? Is there a different approach I could be taking to to something of this nature, um, especially at the small scale, and and you know how do we how are we scrappy? Um, you know, Bernice Radel and Allie Quinlan and I we we all met teaching for the Incremental Development Alliance, and we're close friends. We have a group text message that is therapy for us, <laughs> um, and we have very different you know kind of approaches, and we live in different areas. However, you know, if I need um, to think about landscape design, uh, especially with, you know, this area that flooded, I was messaging Allie and saying, you know, how could I design this better? And how can I kind of curate things to make sure that water's being pushed away from these buildings? Um, property management woes, any of it, even, you know, creating and cultivating the right lender relationships or, or finance partnerships. Um, I think the more people can, can look to others, 
it's really helpful because sometimes you need an outsider's point of view in order to solve the problems at hand. Mm -hmm. And then I know that you're part of also supporting other people through being a faculty member with the Incremental Development Alliance. What drew you to passing this knowledge on to others and like helping incremental development grow and thrive in other places? Yeah. So for me, I teach uh, with the Incremental Development Alliance because it's the kind of training I wish I had. I fell into real estate development by happenstance at a large scale, and it was kind of, you know, overwhelming and amazing and dazzling. Um, but it also wasn't necessarily accessible in a way that, that I feel like it, it should be. I think real estate development is an opportunity for citizens to shape their communities where things can be done, you know, for citizens, by citizens. And it also op- offers a great opportunity to build generational wealth. So I, I kind of came in, my undergrads in sociology with a, kind of a focus in poverty and inequality. So with my lens to kind of start working in real estate development with a large lie tech developer uh, in Miami of all places where you see kind of, you know, the politics of it and you see the amount of money that it costs. And, you know, you're, you're very quickly told as one of the few females in the office, be sure not to, to say this or be sure not to do that or people won't take you seriously. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. This isn't the way it should be. The Incremental Development Alliance, we teach people how they can shape their communities and they don't have to come into it with all of these capital. Like, how can you come in and start small and invest in a piece of your town and and do it again and again, if you so choose? Um, How do you actually have an equitable stake in what your community looks and feels like? And that's really important. Um, It's important for cities to have that local ownership and for entrepreneurs to really have that that opportunity. So for me, teaching with the Incremental Development Alliance, it's that kind of training that I wish I had. I wound up getting a graduate certificate at NYU in real estate development. And I did that for the first, I don't know, year and a half or so as I started my company and my professors in New York, I used all of my actual first projects, which were large kind of historic preservation adaptive reuse. Like those were all of my assignments, all of my deal packages, everything I had to do. I, I put together what I was actually working on to save time. I have two small children. So it was the only way it was going to work. And um, they would, they would call me. They would request, you know, like office hours and they would request to reach out to me after they would see my assignments. And I would assume that there must be something horribly wrong with it. And we would get on the phone and they would say, why? Like, why are you doing this? Like, why do you need to go through all of this historic tax credits or, or why are you adding these things in? And I said, well, does it work? And they were like, well, you need to move to another market. Like, why don't you come to New York? Go somewhere where the numbers make more sense. Like, go somewhere else. You know, it was like I was a masochist. I was like, but, but can you help me? Because I'm not moving. <laughs> and this is, this is important to me and where I want to be. So, um, you know, Incremental Development Alliance, we would never tell you if you're in your neighborhood and you're rooted, we're going to teach you how to, how to plant those trees and really, you know, build that farm. We're absolutely not going to tell you to move somewhere else for a better market. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. 
Let's talk more about um, historic preservation because this is a very complex, controversial task. Um, I think often it can mean saving, you know, beautiful, special buildings that, you know, help us learn about our history, but it can also in some places mean like freezing neighborhoods so that they never change. How do you approach historic preservation in a way that both upholds the past, but also allows for current and future needs? Yeah. So historic preservation, I've done mostly adaptive reuse projects. So I tend to take on historic buildings and completely change the way in which they function. Uh, Transforming the newspaper building into housing. I transformed a 130-year-old bank building is now a mixed-use building in my downtown where there's, you know, a restaurant in the former bank lobby, and we had to exhaust the hood for her restaurant through the old elevator shaft in order to make everything work. And we have 26 apartments upstairs. So I I am absolutely not the freezing glass type of preservationist. You know, I think that there's a place for it, absolutely, but communities change and they evolve. And so much of the work that I really did was focused on on housing in the beginning. So it was offering housing choice and it was offering something different into our, our local community that, that people didn't have. Um, we didn't have anything other than really single family homes and a few condos downtown. Um, the rental that, that were existing in other downtown buildings were always full with a wait list. And I knew that there was a need. So for me, you know, historic preservation, it's, it's about making things more sustainable and giving buildings another hundred years. And adaptive reuse is a way where you can keep the character and the uniqueness and the fabric of the community, but really update it in a different way and for a different use so that it's not sitting vacant. Um, we're just never going to use commercial space the way that we used to. I remember, you know, going into a building and there must have been, I don't know, we had to probably clear 30 to 35 file cabinets out. I'm like, we're never going to go back. There's no value for these file cabinets. No one wants them any longer. Um, you know, our, our systems have changed and there's a balance to making sure that, you know, you uphold certain values that, you know, you're not putting exposed ductwork in, uh, you know, a hundred year old building that would have never had that unless it was already an industrial style building. And I think it's really about getting to the root and heart of what was that building used for? What are its key characteristics? How do you kind of keep it timeless and true to itself, but also update it for, for the future? So historic preservation is really a way to, to be sustainable in creating a stronger community fabric, as well as just good use of resources within your community. I love the way you explain that. That's fantastic. What is it like to navigate all the the red tape and regulatory challenges of historic preservation without like getting too into the weeds? How do you approach that? You know, historic preservation is is another layer on the onion, right? When you look at real estate development, you think of, well, there's planning, there's zoning, there's building code, there's how do I get the money and the financing to do it, you know, through that equity stack, as well as the the lender and the bank financing that you need. You know, some of my projects too would be impossible without some of the economic development components. So historic preservation is kind of like, I I consider it adding another stakeholder, adding another team member to the table. So 
So if you were to think of it as like a, a physical person that is has a seat at the table, that's part of this decision making. What are the values that are are important to them? What do we have to uphold to keep them happy? I think that that's the best way that I can kind of frame it when I think about real estate development is, you know, you're you're deciding how big that table is going to be. But understand, the more people you put at the table can be more complicated. You also don't necessarily have to do historic preservation and have to like go through all of the red tape that goes through the formality unless you're within a historic district or you're going after some incentive. There are some of it that's just beautifully simple, common sense work that's kind of like having your grandma at the table. She's going to tell you how to live your life in the most basic way. So it, it doesn't have to be complicated. And I really look at it as, you know, the more things, the more elements that you bring in, think of it like a stakeholder that you, you also have to take into consideration throughout the entire project and understand what those values and what's important with that. And be sure that if, you, if they have a seat at the table, that you're able to deliver. What are you working on right now that you're excited about um, in, the, in the coming months? So right now, I... I'm a little jam-packed, admittedly. I'm I'm completing the condos, the second phase, um, which has been like really an unexpectedly lovely project. It's about 10 to 15 minutes from my home. They're the first condos ever developed in the community. They're great little courtyard units that were very like mid-century modern, and I've done them in a very Scandinavian simple uh, design and they sit nestled in the trees and they remind me of like upstate New York every time I'm near them. Um, And my mom actually moved into one. So my mom moved like 10 minutes away from us into a home that I redeveloped. And that must be a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely unexpected. Uh, We had found them through, through kind of, you know, the flood hit. We were the first natural disaster to occur during a pandemic in our local community that just all rolled together. And that's been something that I I really didn't see coming in the last year. And it's been phenomenal. The other I would say is I'm actually in the process right now of, of opening a food truck park in a beer garden uh, on the riverfront. So it's a waterfront in downtown Bay City. It's a site that some outside partners um, own the land and we were looking at, you know, do we build a large mixed use building? Do we do something of that nature with it? Um, COVID hit and the restaurants were shut down and we'd had to like kind of get together and meet again and think about, well, what do we do with this building? And I was, I was ready to walk away to be quite honest. I just don't see it happening. I'm going to focus on other things. And I had a eureka moment, which was kind of, you know, why does it have to be all of these things? Why can't I go back to basics? Why can't I practice what I preach? Um, why don't we just open up the building and, and make it a beer garden and keep it very simple and put food trucks in the outside because the kitchen is shot? And I wanted to actually demolish the building. My partners convinced me that, well, it'd be nice to have a kitchen prep area and it'd be nice to have, you know, rain cover. And I was pretty adamant that we had to keep some indoor plumbing and some nice bathrooms. <laughs> So we um, we are redoing the docks on kind of an iconic landmark site that used to be like a club in the 60s. And it's always been local restaurants and it's where local music has been. And rather than making it a whole you know, restaurant and doing like a sit down service that we're doing more of a seasonal 
food truck park. Uh, we'll have two of our own food trucks all the time. Um, one of them is my husband did the whole menu and it's his recipes. It's the Cuban food that he grew up on. So yeah, so we have a Cuban food truck and then we also have a taco truck and we have room for six others. We have, you know, uh, string lights. We've been doing just tactical urbanism since we're not quite open yet this summer. So we've uh, been doing a nonprofit liquor license and having food trucks come. And we threw down mulch and picnic tables and fenced off a certain area. And we've had live music and we've been doing fundraisers while the building is completing. So I'm actually set to open a restaurant in uh, about three weeks from today. That's exciting. It's scary, but it's exciting. Yeah. Wow. That sounds so fun. Oh, a lot going on. Last question before we close out here. Um, what advice would you give for someone who's interested in getting into incremental development and starting that journey? Well, now is a phenomenal time because you can go to any of our training sessions online or through Zoom. We're still pretty hybrid, so we're not always in person, meaning have to be in your community for you to come and get the training. Um, the other thing is I just, I always tell people start small. It's complicated work, but it doesn't have to be as bad if you start small because you learn so much as you go. So, you know, by all means, you know, you do not have to start with a conversion of a newspaper building into 31 lofts. The problem with that, especially, is because the newspaper wants to cover every single second of it and you can't mess <laughs> up. Like, Start with something where you have some flexibility and some room and you'll learn so much along the way. And really, you start to build those key partnerships within your community with locals. And and that really carries you through. Great advice. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer Acosta, for being on the show. Um, I'm going to share links to all the different, like your website and incremental development and everything like that. Um, with our listeners, but thanks for sharing your wisdom and your story with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great. I really enjoyed that conversation. If you couldn't tell, I also would echo um, Jennifer's encouragement to check out the incremental development Alliance. If you want to learn more and I will provide a link as well to the incremental development section of our strong towns action lab, We've got key articles and resources to help you start getting into it. One more learning opportunity that I want to point you towards as well. Um, we just dropped another new class in our Strong Towns Academy. You probably heard me talking about the housing course last week. Well, the one we published this week is called Urban Design Principles for a Strong Town. And um, that might sound a little bit dull, but I actually think it is the most fun course that we've published. In this one... Uh, Chuck Marone takes you all over Disney World, yep, you heard that right, and walks through a series of 40 short lessons about important yet overlooked and honestly just easy to miss urban design principles that if you don't uh, get this background info, if you don't have a planning degree, you probably haven't noticed them, uh, but once you do, you're going to be seeing your city in a whole new way. Everything from how we place windows in our homes to the way that sidewalks are designed in relation to roads to weird things like signage, the color of signage, um, utility boxes. This stuff is all over our cities and totally shapes the way we experience them. And uh, this course really opened my eyes. I learned a lot. 
Um, so check it out at academy.strongtowns.org. Hopefully you all know that my inbox is open to you, rachel at strongtowns.org. Send me any feedback, any question ideas, um, anything that you're doing in your town to make it stronger. Finally, you may or may not know this, but we have been partnering with the Incremental Development Alliance on several different events and articles and podcasts uh, for, for many, many years. We sort of were both birthed out of a beginning period in the Congress for the New Urbanism. And so we're, I don't know, Strong Towns and Incremental Development Alliance are like brothers or something in in the world of these sort of movements. Um, so we, we work together and um, we really believe in their mission. So if you also believe in their mission uh, and want to keep helping that thrive, keep helping us um, provide resources for other new incremental developers and people who just want to get plugged in and start um, hearing these stories, start connecting to that mission, uh, please head to strongtowns.org slash membership to become a supporting member of this movement today or head to incrementaldevelopment.org and also check them out and support them. The work of making our cities better requires so many people coming together and we hope that you'll be part of this movement. Head to strongtowns.org slash membership to become a supporting member today. Thanks so much for listening and for whatever you're doing to make your town stronger. See you back here next week for our next episode.